Hello and welcome to the Eco Chamber, a podcast on all things environmental policy brought to you by the investigative team of journalists at Ends Report. I'm James Adjapong Parsons. In this episode, we'll be discussing why allowing a water company to convert a drought permit into a permanent licence would set a bad precedent, the recent multi-million pound payouts by water companies for polluting our blue spaces, and exclusive insight into the issues plaguing DEFRA, the government's Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. For our deep dive section this week, we're discussing with those in the know why DEFRA's union members are on strike. So without further ado, let's enter the Eco Chamber. I'm joined by ENDS Reports journalist Shosha Aidy to help me deal with the storm overflow of environmental news this week. For our first big green story this week, we're talking droughts and the significance of an application made by one water company to change its drought permit to something more long term, uh, some sort of abstraction license. Shosha, what's going on here? So Southwest Water have expressed that they want to convert drought permits which are temporary into abstraction licences which are more long term as part of their water resource management plan for 2024. And that's up for consultation until the end of this week. But experts have told us, um, experts from the independent charity Wildfish, that this would be an ecological catastrophe and set quite a dangerous precedent for river health across the country. Because if you convert what's meant to be temporary into a permanent source of supply, it could reduce the flow in rivers below ecologically safe limits um, and set a bad precedent because this is much cheaper than building new water infrastructure like dams, which is a more of a long-term view at safeguarding water supply. You said something in there that I, a term that I've not come across. What is a water resource management plan? So these are the plans that water companies in England and Wales are required to publish, which set out how they're going to safeguard water supplies for their region um, and protect the environment. So they have to set these out every five years. The last one was published in 2019 and this one's for 2024. Um, and interestingly, in Southwest Water's 2019 plan, the company described the probability of it needing to rely on drought permits to safeguard its minimum service as a one in 100 year scenario. However, in its 2024 plan, this has changed to a probability of one in 20 years. Do we have any indication on the scale of what Southwest Water are proposing here? Yes. So they've already been granted six drought permits this year, including an application for an additional, according to Wildfish, um, 3.6 billion litres to be taken from the River Foy at Restamal. Um, And this is one of the last strongholds for Atlantic salmon and is already quite threatened by abstraction. So it's quite concerning. So can we put that, that figure into context? Yes. So currently, Southwest Water's abstraction permits allow it to abstract around 1.7 billion litres of water per day. Um, So it's not a lot of water when you look at that overall figure. However, it is still a significant amount. And and it's it's that method, isn't it? It's changing it from a what is a temporary fix, a drought permit, which is, I think it's up for up to six months, is it, granted by the Environment Agency and in an extreme measure as a kind of a, a safeguard into a what, what almost seems like a try, almost trying to be like a solution for, mm. with abstraction which seem they seem to be two fundamentally different things yes definitely 
So what is the Environment Agency then, the ones in charge of the permitting system? What have they said about all this? So the EA said they're reviewing Southwest Waters plans um, and will submit their views to the consultation. Um, and Southwest Water themselves have said that any possible conversion of these drought permits into licences will be subject to quite a rigorous and long process um, of internal reviews. So it will be left to be seen what sort of effect this might have. But I think what Wildfish made quite clear is that it could set quite a bad precedent um, if other water companies were to follow in the same same route. On to our next story, but we're sticking with Southwest Water, which was in the courts last week after it was handed a fine of more than two million quid for illegal water pollution. Um, Shosha, what's going on here? Yeah, so this was due to a series of permit breaches and really quite horrible illegal discharges that happened between 2016 and 2020, which saw sewage, harmful chemicals and bacteria flooding protected areas, public waterways and also beaches. Um, Nice. Yeah, it's quite... For One example that really jumped out to me was an illegal discharge um, from the company's Watergate Bay sewage pumping station. Um, which lasted more than 35 hours. And afterwards, E. coli levels at the nearby beach were found to be 2,000 times higher than the level that would be classified as poor. So That's disgusting. Yeah, it's quite significant. Um, and a separate incident saw the dive of thousands of fish in the River Axe, including some protected species. Unfortunately, Southwest Water isn't an isolated water company when it comes to these sort of breaches. Um And actually, there was another water company in court last week for more sewage pollution. Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, so Anglian Water um, was also in the courts. Interestingly, the the two cases were held within two days of each other, um, and both were the biggest fines that each region has seen for a water company. Um, But yes, the Anglian Water case... Uh, they were fined over £2.5 million for discharging three Olympic pools worth of sewage from its Jaywick Water Recycling Centre into the North Sea during dry weather. Um, So it violated its storm overflows permit, which only allows discharges during stormy conditions. So not a good place to be if you're in Essex then. Um, How do these fines stack up against each other? The fines come within the top 10 highest penalties that were given to water companies in the UK, according to our fines monitor, which spans over a decade. Um, But the largest ever fine for a water company was given to Southern Water in 2021, which was more than £90 million. And then that fines monitor, then for anyone who's interested, it's sort of a historical collection of data of plotting all the different um, water companies and waste utilities and energy companies and all industry um, that have been convicted in a court in the UK. Um, And you can compare and contrast and modify your search findings if you go to our website, endsreport.com and search for the Finds Monitor. For our final Big Green News story this week, we're discussing the exclusive news that not one of DEFRA's emergency response teams are fully staffed. Yes, you heard me. That means it's been impacting the department's ability to respond to the most extreme events in the country, we've been told. A DEFRA whistleblower has been speaking to us on anonymity about the impacts this is having on the ground. So when we think about DEFRA, it doesn't immediately occur to me that they'll have an emergency response team, but they do. And this is quite a damning indictment of how that management process is being handled, isn't it? Yeah, so units within DEFRA who are responsible for coordinating emergency responses 
are struggling with no completely staffed team apparently which impacts their ability to respond to flooding drought water quality concerns animal and plant health and the food and supply chain emergencies and we know this because a senior employee with oversight of emergency response told us this under the condition of anonymity um, so they told us some of the things that teams handle genuinely do have a threat of life or death and you can't just jump up and solve this issue there'll be a gap and there'll be mistakes so that is that is quite a damning report and quite concerning yeah i mean you know flood it doesn't occur to you straight away but i mean you know how you respond to a flood emergency how you respond to a drought risk it's not this isn't kind of um things you want to be pulling out your back pocket at the last minute you want these teams in place and you need them to be fully staffed it, it is worth saying actually however the government's response to all this uh, which is what yeah so a defra spokesperson told ends that claims vacancies in its emergency response teams are impacting the department's ability to respond to incidents are quotation marks um, patently untrue um while most incidents are handled at a local level defra and its arms length bodies are well prepared to respond to incidents and carry out critical business activities so that's that's the gist of that response that they gave us. So they're not saying that they are fully staffed, but they are saying that is not impacting their work. Got it. And if you're interested in hearing more about what's been going on inside the government, DEFRA whistleblowers have spoken to ENDS for a series of features that we've written up called the DEFRA Dispatches. To read those and more, please head over to our website, endsupport.com, to find out. Now on to our deep dive section. For this week's Eco Chamber, I went down to the picket lines to speak to DEFRA's union members about why they're taking strike action. There I met Athene Dilk, who works in DEFRA and is on the PCS Union's Executive Committee branch. And I began by asking her reaction to ENDS exclusives that not one critical emergency response team within the department was fully staffed. Here's what she had to say. I'm speaking as a, you know, in my role as a PCS member, as a union member. And so we talked to lots of different members. And we hear from a lot of them that they're overworked and under-resourced. So I'm not actually that surprised. Um, and I guess also in the day-to-day -day in DEFRA, we just see people leaving all the time because they're not properly paid. That's because civil service pay has been frozen and is now not keeping up with inflation. So we're actually kind of getting a pay cut at the moment. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any attempt to raise our pay, to actually recognize the cost of living, the cost of living crisis that lots of people are going through. Um, and we know that one in 12 of our members is actually using a food bank. Um, so that's just shocking, actually. And that really tells you why people would leave the civil service, even if they love it, even if they think it's really important work. Um, and public sector pay, you know, we've seen that lots of other areas have had a higher pay rise than us. We've had the lowest pay rise of anyone. That means that people are having to leave because they can't make ends meet. And that means that really important work is going to be under-resourced. So what would it take for you and your colleagues to call off the strikes? So we know we now have received an improved pay offer for 2023 onwards, but the reality is they haven't addressed at all back pay from 2022 to 2023. There is no offer on the table for us to take into account that we have just seen a huge drop in our, in our living standards. There is no, and that's actually happened for lots of other areas of the public sector. They've been given one-off payments or they've been given some kind of back pay and we are not seeing that. So while they're just about with the latest pay offer bringing us up to the level of some other areas of the public sector, it's still a little bit below. 
it doesn't actually recognize that people have had to go into their savings. People are using food banks. People are struggling. People are having to go to their parents for money. Like that is the reality of how people are getting by, especially in a rich city like this. Um, so actually, it's we, we're still pushing for a 10% pay rise because actually we haven't been paid properly for about 10 years. And at the end of the day, you're going to start depleting your workforce if you keep freezing their pay and underpaying them for so long. I was surprised to read that DEFRA is one of the least paid departments of government. How does that impact the work that it has to carry out on nature? I think it's, it's basically seen as a bit of a poor cousin because of its lower pay. Um, there's a sort of suggestion that it's not as serious a department, which is really surprising because it's dealing with the environment and food, which I don't think there could be many more serious issues than that. And water, you know, pretty much the crucial building blocks of life and should actually be considered incredibly important. But I think like that's the fact that it's low, low paid and it's not considered a high profile department means we're more likely to lose people. And that means we're less likely to keep expertise and have fully resourced teams who should be working on the most important issues that we're facing right now, the most urgent issues. When you read and hear about bullying from ministers like Dominic Raab or former ministers like Dominic Raab, how does that make you feel? It's something where it adds to this atmosphere that we're not really that sort of people are not really upholding the agreement between ministers and civil servants, and it really drags down morale. The, the fact that there were these years of bullying um, have taken place, like the, and it's not just Dominic Raab, it's multiple ministers now within this government have been shown to bully, allegations have been made against them and proven, as it was the case in Dominic Raab. And then when those are proven, the response isn't actually, we need to reconsider how ministers engage with civil servants. How has this been allowed to happen? Why is this toxic work environment being allowed to exist? The blame is put on us. And it sort of follows on from the last 10 years, really, of smears against the civil servants from this government. And I think what's worrying is, I think, because it's been happening for so long, people have started to normalize it. But actually, it hasn't happened under other governments. There has actually been a code between ministers and civil servants that we don't, they're not smeared in the media. They're not blamed for official decisions. They're protected. And it's, that rule has been broken under this government. And that means that not only are you underpaid, but you actually feel like you're being mistreated. And you, if something goes wrong, you will be thrown under the bus and you won't be supported. So finally, then, what is morale like within the DEFRA team? I've honestly never known it so bad. Like it's extremely bad. It's extremely depressing. I mean, I think, I don't know how it couldn't be when people just feel like their pay isn't stretching and also feel like they're having to work too hard. That terrible combination and all they see in the media every day are descriptions of how terrible ministers think civil servants are, how they think we're these, you know, woke brigade, terrible monsters, when all we're doing is trying really hard to do to actually provide the service for the public actually try and make things better. And at the end of the day, we're just getting absolutely slandered in the media. So it feels extremely bad. I think the morale is absolutely rock bottom at the moment. For the union's part, General Secretary Mark Sawatka told ENDS that the PCS membership in DEFRA has actually increased by 50% during the course of the current pay dispute. He told us, quote, that they are fed up with being taken for granted by a government that doesn't care and that this has led their employer to, quote, depend on overtime and goodwill from our members to get work done, end quote. This isn't over yet, it seems. But the podcast is. We've reached the end of this episode of the Eco Chamber. Thank you to Shosha Adi, who's taught me that we need to be keeping an eye on drought permits and drought action as we head into the summer. 
that despite water companies being hit with eye-watering fines, it seems they're willing to tolerate the reputational stink, for now. And DEFRA's critical response teams are actually struggling to respond to a critical response, just in time for this summer's heat waves. If you're interested in hearing more about any of the stories we've been discussing today, please head over to our website, endreport.com. This podcast would not be possible without the subscribers of Ends Report, who make sure that real-life journalism actually takes place. So why not consider becoming a reader today? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and maybe even share it with a friend. Until the next time, goodbye.